welcome to Therapist Spotlight. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Therapist Spotlight, where we interview all of our wonderful ANTA members and showcase them to the public. I'm Joshua Brooks, your host, and today we have the wonderful Brianna Gunn from Brianna Gunn Naturopathy, who is a biotoxin expert. Hello, Brianna. How are you going? Really well. Thank you for having me, Josh. It's a, a real pleasure to be here with ANTA. Yeah, no worries. I can't wait to explore this sort of, I guess, um, unknown topic, isn't it? It's a little bit um, not quite well understood yeah. and not quite as well recognised as it should be, I think, in Australia. Yes. So I'm very yeah, much I looking agree. forward to it. Um, so first question, what got you into natural therapies in the start? Oh, good question. Um, I... Even as a very young child, I remember playing out in the sand pit with yeah. leaves and petals and things and making potions. And I, my mum has a story that I used to want to be a naturopathic vet. Um, and she said, I didn't even know what a naturopath was back in, <laughs> I don't know, 1985. Um, so, yeah, I think it's been something in the pipeline for a long, long time. Yeah, wow, wonderful. And so when did your healing journey sort of start? Like what was it? Was it playing with that and you just enjoyed the herbs and you enjoyed like nutrition yeah. or like what what sort of brought you to naturopathy as regards to like you know nutrition or you know other complementary medicines or anything like that yeah i guess i i was always going to be a naturopath um yeah. and i did a lot of other jobs in my early 20s and then there was a college that opened up just uh near me at a perfect time and that's the degree they're offering um and so i really jumped on that um that opportunity and i was never drawn to just nutrition or Mm -hmm. maybe herbalism on its own but it always just the answer for me was to be a naturopath yeah wonderful and so what part of naturopathy really captures you like do you like the iridology part of it or like you know like fingernail analysis or what sort of stuff do you really like what grabs you yeah i think when i was seeing patients face to face in clinic i loved that stuff mm -hmm. whereas mm -hmm. now i see all my patients via skype because a lot of my patients are too sick to leave the house or ah, they're okay. anywhere in australia and they yep. don't have access to an expert anywhere near them so mm -hmm. they're happy to consult from home which means i do miss out on some of those more tactile diagnostic tools yeah um but i think to answer your question it's always been herbs for me yeah it's so just, it's herbs just herbs <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I i use a lot of homeopathy and i use mm -hmm. a lot of flower essences and nutritional therapy is a great backbone and i, I yep. do all kinds of things with my patients but when i going back to college mm -hmm. when i was learning about herbs it didn't feel like learning about them it felt like remembering old friends yeah and wow. i i felt like i was able to tap into something innate within me um mm -hmm. and, and know a lot about them already know what their actions were and how they would benefit people yeah wonderful so what's your favourite herb? Oh, million dollar question. <laughs> and I just did a podcast um, for Optimal Rx last week yep. on some of their rare and unique herbs. And I had to reflect <laughs> as a part of that process as well and what, what I liked. And I think if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have said withania, hands down. Everybody loves withania. Yep. Whereas now it might be hertunia. Ooh, and, and hertunia why? is a herb that not a lot of people heard about. Um, such a potent antibacterial agent. Mm. And for me, in my world, looking at biotoxin illnesses, tick-borne illnesses, brilliant for Bartonella, brilliant for mm -hmm. Babesia even, not as good with Babesia, but brilliant with Bartonella, Borrelia, Lichia, Rickettsia, any of the bacterial-based infections, it is potent agent for change mm. in people's lives. Yeah, wonderful. And so, well then, what got you into biotoxin research? What, what grabbed you and what made you sort of go that path? 
Yeah, another good question. So I came from a background in general naturopathic practice. Mm -hmm. I was working in a really big and established clinic here in Perth um, and they use a lot of electrodermal screening. So mm -hmm. I was doing traditional naturopathy, seeing a lot of paediatric patients, a lot of fertility. And as the years went by, I was starting to see more and more patients who weren't responding. They come in with things that look like adrenal fatigue and then mm -hmm. didn't get better from adrenal fatigue therapies. And just more and more people were coming to me with chronic illnesses, difficult things. And I've never been able to understand whether as you get better as a practitioner, the more experience you have, the more challenging cases you draw to yourself or whether people are just getting sicker. Yeah. So I'm open to either of those ideas. Yeah. Um, but I had just started seeing more and more people who weren't getting well. And then a really dear friend of mine um, was living in a, in a mouldy building at the time. And she had this mm. chronic range of joint pain, fatigue. And yes, yeah, she was, you know, a year postnatal as well. Is that a factor? But we'd ruled out all the obvious stuff. Um, a brilliant GP here in Perth, he said to her, look, we're going to have to do some Lyme serology. And I was like, oh, what? Nice. Yeah, cool. Hang on. Um, <laughs> and it really just, I think, was a catalyst for more learning for me. Um, and then I went through a very difficult period in my own health. Had a little mm -hmm. bit of water damage in the house, but I, I wouldn't say I have SIRS. I have um, an inability to be in a water damaged environment, let's mm -hmm. say. Um, so I think there was a, a contributing factor, but I came down with what I now know to be a Borrelia relapsing fever. So it started out the first month like a flu. Mm -hmm. I thought, wow, that was that put me on my butt. That was a terrible flu. Drenching sweats, uh, photophobia, migraine, um, racking wow. pain. Lasted about five days. I thought, okay, that was odd. And then the next month it came back. I mm. thought, now that's weird. What comes back in the same way? Could identifiers, Epstein-Barr? You know, I went through those kind of obvious maybe questions. And then the third month, and that was 11 days in bed in darkness the whole time. Um, and I had a two-year-old at home at this stage. My little guy was a baby still. I didn't. I couldn't. I was running a clinic. I was still working at the other clinic that I mentioned mm. before. I've got a baby at home. I've got a four-year-old at home. I couldn't take 11 days in bed every three weeks. Yeah. And it was that third month that it happened that I thought, no, there's something else going on here. I need to go big picture. Mm -hmm. And straight away at that stage, I felt really blessed. I was already an experienced naturopath. I had a great network of great colleagues in Perth. And I went straight to that doctor I just mentioned. And I said, what do you mm -hmm. think? And he said, ooh, I think we might run some blood tests on that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was really lucky in that I got an answer by month four um, on Borrelia. And in my patient population, it's, it's getting a bit shorter now, but average age of diagnosis is 13 years um, to know that you've got Borrelia. Yeah. Um, and so I really went down the rabbit hole then because I thought, who in Perth can help me with this thing? I've been mm -hmm. diagnosed. I don't want the antibiotics because I'm still breastfeeding. And I'm a naturopath. That's yep. not my first line of option anyway. Um, <laughs> what do I do? And then the further down that rabbit hole I went with tick-borne illnesses, I was like, hang on, SIRS looks exactly the same. Ooh, is it just that moldy bathroom that we've got? You know, there was a bit of a history of a, of a water leak there. Mm. Ooh, could it be that? Um, and so I really had to go down the rabbit hole of both of those diseases. And honestly, if I was going to pick one to have, take SIRS. Mm -hmm. <laughs> take mold any day of the week yeah, over wow, an intelligent really? organism. Mm, okay. Absolutely. Mm. A lot easier to access treatments, a lot easier. There's no official diagnosis in a blood test, but a, a lot easier to get diagnostic data that you can 
um, extrapolate towards thinking, yeah, this is SIRS. So what exactly is SIRS for everyone who's out there? Mm, uh, chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Mm-hmm. So it is a cluster, the syndrome, um, a cluster of symptoms that come from water damage. And there's, I think, 11 boxes in the Schumacher symptom clusters and many diagnostic symptoms in each of them, ranging from mm. kind of normal things, fatigue. But in my SERS patients, it's fatigue with word loss, forgetting words. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there's a sinus involvement or the post-nasal catarrh. Yes, there can be some gut involvement with the alternating diarrhea or constipation, some bloating. But, you know, that could be SIBO as well or, mm-hmm. or something else, something more obvious. Um Ice pick pain, strange neurological involvement. Um, what else is there? There's also joint pain. And so each of those kind of boxes that I mentioned, these, these 11 different symptom clusters, there's a number of other symptoms in them. If you have one of those symptoms mm-hmm. in each of those boxes, that would be a yes. So do Google it, symptoms, Schumacher symptom cluster. Yep. Um, there's one of them on my website if you want it. There's, mm-hmm. They're all over the internet. Um, and that's a great clinical tool to use to see, do I think this is what we're looking at? Mm-hmm. Are people che- mm-hmm. checking enough of those boxes to think, yeah, we go forward and, and understand this place? And so then how do you... So then what's the difference between a tick-borne or a, or an insect vector disease compared to that? And how would you diagnose or look at it or know the difference? Or what would you try? Like if someone came to you, would you go to SERS because it's a bit easier? Or, yeah, what's what's the process when, when someone comes? Yeah, um, SERS can initiate from any time. So you might have a water mm-hmm. damage building event in your 20s yeah. and then... 10 years later, you've got the fatigue, the word loss, the headaches, the whatever it might be. Yeah, right. Um, what I see in my patients, so they're all biotoxin illnesses. So Babesia, <laughs> Borrelia and SIRS, they're all biotoxins. So that's effectively a biological toxin, something yeah. that upsets your body. And we know about them from endotoxins and mycotoxins and things as well. They fall mm-hmm. under that um, kind of banner. Once you've had this problem... You initiate in the body a chaotic immune response and um, dysregulated inflammatory pathways, and that just snowballs out of control for people. That's when you get multi-system, multi-symptom, symptom picture presenting to you or right. discomfort for a person to experience. So if you've had a multi-building or a multi-workplace, a multi-vehicle, mm-hmm. think about SERS first. Yep. Okay. If you've also had recent camping, mother has the same symptoms as you and you've got a congenital transmission, if your symptoms came on suddenly after bed bugs, mosquitoes, horse flies, mm-hmm. any insect biting event, um, then we're looking at do we think about the tick-borne illnesses as well? Yep. If you have a tick-borne illness, nearly all of my patients will also respond to mould as a problem because the inflammatory pathways are primed. The immune system is dysregulated and chaotic. When you then get mould as well, your body doesn't know what to do. Mm. More inflammation is generally the answer. So, yes, if you've got a tick-borne illness, you need to be avoiding Mm mould. But -hmm. if you've got a mould problem, you might not also have a tick-borne illness, if that helps you to understand. Mm -hmm. And really different keywords that are coming up in patients. You know, if I'm looking at Barcinella, a person with Barcinella, got a lot of neurological involvement. We have foot pain often, whereas with mould, the vision goes down and the word loss is a factor. So you kind of start hearing different keywords come out of a patient's mouth and that Mm -hmm. gives you some clues as to which direction you're most likely to find answers in. So you said that it can trigger like 20 years down the track sort of thing, you know, you have like a moldy building down your, and then so what sort of triggers can bring that on? 
is it just stress or is it food or is it you know traumatic events like you know is it is it something else uh, yeah, yeah. All of the above, um, and usually a viral vector as well, like something else. So we've mm -hmm. got a reactivated Epstein-Barr virus, or a vaccine that's triggered yep. the immune system to react in a different way. Mm -hmm. It could be, you know, five years of leaky gut undiagnosed and unmanaged, yeah. and then you're getting histamine reactions from that. And it's just mm. the, the toxic soup, the toxic bucket gets too full. Yeah, um, yeah. And then you start getting that chronic dysregulation of the immune system and the inflammatory pathways. Mm -hmm. So it's like when the immune system can't suppress it because some trigger stops your immune system from being so it can just flare up yeah, and then go absolutely. crazy. Yeah, yeah, okay. And particularly with SERS patients where some of the HLA genes, and HLA genes are fairly well known, mm -hmm. um, they're the ones that people test for gluten intolerance for celiac disease. So your HLA genes, there are sp some specific ones that have been found to occur very commonly in people with SERS. Mm -hmm. And HLA are human leukocyte antigens. So effectively, it's part of your white blood cell that mm -hmm. doesn't recognise that mould is a problem. Mm -hmm. so for a person who has these HLA genes, and it's about 24% of Australians, one in four, um, an exposure to mould will overload the immune system and it won't know what the problem is, but it'll know there's something going on here. We've got an invader somewhere, a pathogen somewhere, and that's when the chaotic immune comes in. And once you have those uh -huh. activated cytokines for too long without being turned off, then you've got rampant inflammation as well. Mm -hmm. So these HLA genes are an important part of, of, of the SERS picture. Yeah. And so then once you've diagnosed that, What's the treatment protocol like? What what can a client expect? How long? I mean, obviously everyone's different. So you know, you know, is it sort of lifelong? Like you said, you can get exposed in your twenties, and they can come up later in life, and so therefore it's always going to be with you. Or is there ways of clearing the pathogen? Or is it just a complete lifestyle overhaul? Well, what what can what's the treatment sort of look like? Yeah, for all of the things that I see. Mm -hmm. Common factors are impaired detoxification pathways. Yeah common factors are high toxic load um, and that can be for anything poor methylation status poor nutritional status high mm -hmm. exposure to heavy metals these things are all kind of priming the pump and, and filling up that toxic cup also when we have these conditions mm -hmm. they're evading elimination so mold isn't doing that quite in the same way but if your immune system can't see it it can't process it it can't mm -hmm. eliminate it it's blocking up the kidneys it's blocking up the the liver mm -hmm. um, microtoxins have an affinity for bile um yeah right really? so okay. they yeah so they yeah. are reducing the function of your elimination organs unfortunately mm. making that detoxification thing worse and what i see across the board is start with detox make sure particularly the lymph mm -hmm. use the skin as a detox um, organ get the kidney working get the bowel working heal the gut a little bit make sure the liver is working as well as it can be and that is first step for everybody and then binders particularly in the mold world binders binders that bind mold bind microtoxins mm -hmm. depending on the person they might also need antifungal agents where do we think about mold what is it like damp yeah. dark something Wet with stuff. a food source absolutely yeah. <laughs> where's that your sinuses your lungs your gut mm -hmm. so it can get into your body and start growing so we mm. might need to do a round or a number of rounds of antifungals and there's lots of great antifungal herbs and antifungal mm -hmm. agents there yeah and um, so obviously being an naturopath your antifungal go-to is herbal medicine and and that yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely garlic so, oregano andrographis pomegranate yeah. thyme lots of beautiful things there that are well tolerated across a lot of different patient populations mm -hmm. yeah wonderful well thank you so much brianna is there anything else that you'd like to i mean what i guess is 
really prevalent for me is since it's not so well recognized in Australia, uh, how big a problem is it? Like, are a lot of what we're seeing in terms of these chronic inflammation conditions, do you think it could be linked to mold? Do you think it could be linked to like tick-borne and we're just, misdiagno we're just misdiagnosing it maybe or we're not recognizing it as a prevalent as it should be? Like, yeah, what, what's your take yeah. on this sort of thing? I'm not trying to get absolutely. too controversial, but yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly in tick-borne yeah. illnesses, if you're mm -hmm. seeing patients or you are a patient and you've got migratory joint pains, chronic fatiguing symptoms, glands mm -hmm. up and down, fevers, particularly night fevers with Babesia and other parasite infections, symptoms worse around the full moon, um, there are a whole range of symptoms. Mm -hmm. And if you were seeing a lot of this stuff, do the Horowitz uh, Lyme questionnaire and just see mm -hmm. what kind of mm -hmm. symptoms do come out of Lyme and what kind of answers you get from that. It is pretty good to start ruling in or out of tick-borne disease. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, tick-borne diseases in Australia are so poorly recognised yeah. and so poorly understood by medical professionals that if you have even things like Bell's palsy, possibly motor neuron disease. Mm. Um, there are, if you've got fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue diagnosis, those are the kind of things I'd be looking what's underneath this and do we have a tick-borne disease? Absolutely. Yeah. So very, very underdiagnosed and very misdiagnosed as well. I think mm -hmm. the average is three other diagnoses by the time somebody realises it's actually Lyme that causes them. So mm. that could commonly be fibro CFS and Hashimoto's. Yeah, well, oh, really, all those. Yeah, okay. Hashimoto's yeah. as well, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, wow. Inflammation. So, yeah, yeah, that's it. So is is it get becoming more recognised, do you find? Like, are you, is it... I would like to say yes, because yeah. as I said before, the average age of diagnosis in my patients is 13 years for tick-borne disease. Yeah. I would say in the last year, there are a heap of people coming to me now diagnosed less than two years. So That's tick good. bite yeah. and get diagnosed quicker. And mm. that is fantastic. Fantastic. The less suffering people go through, that's good. So I don't know why that is. Is it that I Google better than I did two years ago? Is it that there is more information in medical professionals? Is it that I've got a better range of professional networks with doctors and chiros who flag it quickly and send mm -hmm. people over? So in my patients, it is seeming to get diagnosed quicker recently, yeah, and that gives me hope. Mm -hmm. And so are there many other naturopaths who are following this and doing this sort of work or...? Yeah, is it is it a bit tough to find people? Like, is the network growing in Australia? I really hope so. I really, yeah, really okay. hope so. And there are a couple of great naturopaths, hopefully mm -hmm. in every state, but there yeah. are a number that I know about that do, do tick-borne illnesses really, really well. And yeah, then there wonderful. are another couple of naturopaths that do mold illnesses really, really mm -hmm. well. I think mm -hmm. somebody who does the both is more rare. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, well, I, I know through the... I know through the biohacking world is where I learn about how bad mold is, you know, like uh, for me anyway, Dave Asprey was a big, a big proponent of learning how bad mold was with his documentary moldy and everything like that really kickstarted me off. So it's good that it's getting out there in the different sorts of circles. Yeah. And really I think is. mold illness certainly had an uptick in understanding. Oh, maybe two years ago now, there was about mm. six months where I was on Today Tonight and the breakfast shows and there was a lot of expose around it and it was in the newspaper. And that's fantastic because you get the information out there and people can mm. disseminate that into their families and, and help each other. So mm, I think that definitely. mold is better recognized than it was four or five years ago, definitely. Yeah. And now we just got to get onto the tick-borne illnesses. Hopefully, <laughs> yes. And unfortunately, the politicisation of Lyme all around the world, it's hard to find good care. It really, yeah. That politicisation does <laughs> stop medical care sometimes. It's a bit upsetting. 
Yeah, it really does. It's a disadvantage to our patients. Mm. But um, if you're listening to this and you've got any of those things that I've discussed or you're seeing patients that do really look at at least a Horowitz symptom um, mm. checklist and just see, could it possibly be me? And then seek out further information. The Lyme Disease Association of Australia keeps a pracky list. So you have mm. to email them, tell them what state you're in, and they will send you out some doctors and therapists near you. So oh, there are people yeah. who can do this and, and connect you, but unfortunately mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. trying to fly under the radar as well. So do find the information because mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. is entirely possible to see a very good rate of recovery across most of your symptoms with natural mm-hmm. therapies alone. So yeah, yeah, there is hope. Just keep well, trying to find it. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate all the information that you've let us know. So where can they find you? Where's the best place um, contact you if they're in Perth and they've found these symptoms or anything like that? Yeah. What, what's, what's the best place for them to contact you and to seek you out? Yeah. On all the socials, Brianna Gunn, naturopathy, one N in Brianna, two N's in Gunn. Um, my website is briannagunn.com. Um, and like I said, I do Google pretty well these days. So if you put in Lyme Naturopath Australia, you're going to come up with me on the front page. Um, so I think there are lots and lots of ways to reach out to me. I do offer a free 15 minute Skype appointment for initial mm-hmm. patients who are thinking that they might have a tick-borne disease or mm-hmm. um, SIRS. And that way I can see a, how many symptoms they have, how long it's been affecting them, what diagnosis and blood testing they've got, what their next steps are. And so that mm-hmm. the purpose of that is just to work out what your options are yep. and then yep. present them to a person. Mm-hmm. And if you help them diagnose, can they? Can you help them with their naturopath or their primary healthcare physician where they are? So say, for example, if someone in Queensland contacted you, can you, uh, can you help them with their first point of care in Queensland. Yeah, absolutely. I've got doctors in every state of Australia that are Lyme literate. So Mm -hmm, and I mm -hmm. I see patients from all around the country and a lot of regional areas as well. So I do have a fairly big range of possibilities for primary care physicians around the country. Great chiropractors everywhere. I am a little bit fussy with working with other prescribing herbalists or prescribing even a Chinese medicine person take the mm-hmm. acupuncture but we won't do the herbs yep, um, yep. another naturopath i just feel like too many cooks in the kitchen it's going to burn the broth um, sure, yeah. i have a really strong idea of where i'm taking a person mm-hmm. and if somebody else is looking at that through a different lens it ends up disabling both of us if they're going yeah we're doing liver right now we're doing liver and i'm like mm, okay well if we're doing liver i won't start with any lymph work because we need to see if that's going to work <laughs> and it just we all end up not achieving anything i think yeah wonderful well excellent well, everybody out there, if you've got any of the symptoms, so what was it, the Horowitz test for Lyme? Yeah, Horowitz and then, um, and then the Schumacher, which is Schumacher as yep. two words together, um, symptom clusters. Yeah, and so, yeah, have a look at those if you think that you're showing any symptoms or you feel like it may have been, and, yeah, please reach out to Brianna. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and Thanks, we look Josh. forward to chatting you again, and everyone else, have a good night, and we'll catch you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to Therapist Spotlight. If you would like to know more about ANTA, visit us at www.anta.com.au.